Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. And today, another of my best friends on the podcast today, talking retail, talking technology, talking making a difference. And on the podcast today is my best friend, great friend, Greg Busick. Greg, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Justin, it's really uh, an honor to be able to be on this with you. I've listened, long-time listener, first-time caller. I can't believe first-time caller. It's hilarious. I can't believe it's <laughs> taken us this long. And I know we talked about it during one of the, the retail events last year, and I hate that it took this long. But hey, we're here now. Um, for those who don't know Greg, he's the president of IHL Group and also the founder of Retail ROI, Retail Orphan Initiative. And we're going to talk about all of that today. You guys are going to love this discussion, I have to just tell you, um, because I love this idea. I love the difference that Greg is making. And I think you all will too. So Greg, let's start with, and I love to ask this question to most of my guests. It's you go to Ohio State and you get your industrial psychology degree and also your marketing degree, right? You got an undergrad and a master's, but you're in, you then go into technology. How does that happen? Well, actually, I sold computers um, back. <laughs> if those, those of you that remember the Commodore 64, when I was uh, 16 years old, I was working <laughs> for a small computer business doing that. And, uh, you know, it's funny at Ohio State, um, I had not planned to intern between my two years uh, as an MBA program. And at last, last minute, I decided to intern. And uh, some friends uh, at, at NCR, they, they found out and... Uh, they, they went in to a guy who was a big Buckeye fan, uh, Bob Ruggerman, and said, well, we've got good news and we've got bad news. Said, what's, the, what's, what's the good news? Well, the good news is, is we've got you an intern, and the bad news is he's from Ohio State. you know. And, of course, oh, nice. we hit it off right away, and I had two bosses there, um, Bob Ruggerman and Robert Corbett. And uh, Robert uh, had me sit in a computer lab there that summer and asked me to hack IBM's supermarket system. Um, and I did not realize the history. I did not realize the history between NCR and IBM. And there's a very rich history that includes where where the uh, the origination of the word fired came from. Uh, it was actually that. Uh, well, I'll tell you this quick story. That was actually um, Tom Watson was engaged to be married to uh, uh, Mr. Patterson's daughter, who was the head of NCR, and he broke off the engagement. And Patterson threw all of his furniture out in front of the, the building and set it on fire. Wow. And that's where we get the term fired from. Um, but they <laughs> buried the hatchet that. years later. Yeah, they buried the hatchet years later, and there was kind of this not friendly competitor arrangement. And NCR uh, actually had a lab that had IBM's uh, point-of-sale system that was used right. in most supermarkets. And uh, I was asked to hack that system and figure out how to make it lose data. Um, and when I did that, they gave me a job offer to move to Atlanta. Ah, I moved to Atlanta in uh, 1989, up in Duluth, Yep, and uh, helped open the plant there. Uh, for that's NCR. right. That's where NCR's headquarters was. Sorry. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. Um, I worked there as a product manager doing competitive intelligence for about four years. Then after the storm of the century uh, that we had in Atlanta and most of the U.S., I got an offer I couldn't refused to go to Sensormatic Electronics down in South Florida. So um, right after that uh, storm, they put me up on a beach down there for an interview. 
And uh, that seemed appealing as a young guy and single guy. And uh, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse to come work as a product development manager at Sensormatic. And so I was the guy, this is a really a bunch of miracles um, that happened. I was a product development manager on the deactivation products for the loss prevention tags. So if you go into Walmart or Kmart or Home Depot, the tag that looks like a little piece of dentine gum that sticks to products uh, that resonates, it was my job to create the, and lead the, lead the team from a marketing standpoint um, of a product that uh, would deactivate those tags upon purchase. And uh, I was just very fortunate and blessed to be a part of that when the tipping point happened. Um, so that's a little bit of background, and that's kind of the story, gets to the story of how we got started with a whole bunch of other stuff. So Sure. So would you call yourself a technologist, or are you someone that kind of sits between IT and the business? You know what I mean? With your background, yeah, I Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm be, I'm be t- I have a... I have a, a little deeper level than than most people. I was sure. one of the guys that introduced Wi-Fi into retail. Um, <laughs> because I was a product manager on on the Wi-Fi adapter that NCR had, and it was really a, a response to asbestos in the ceilings for J.C. Penney. And so I got to be a development manager there. I kind of understood the technology, but I'm more of a marketing and a business guy than I was a technologist. So if, if we get down into the difference between, you know, 802.11a <laughs> A and C and uh, the millimeter no. wavelength, you know, and all this sort of stuff, I'm lost. Yeah, you we're know, not going there I, today. <laughs> exactly. I have enough I have enough knowledge to be able to communicate with the developers, but with also the, uh, the business folks as well. No, that's great. I was doing my homework on you. Of course, I've known you for a number of years now, but I... I, there's a lot of things I didn't know about you, which was fun to, to figure out. But um, I was reading that for two years, you studied everyone else in the point of sale and store automation field, right? And that laid the groundwork for starting IHL Group in 1996. And for those that don't know IHL Group, think of them like an AC Nielsen, a retail technology. So when you're looking at the technologies that are out there in retail, you know, that are being used in retail stores or back offices, um, what Greg and his team do is advise retailers as well as the tech companies on you know kind of what's next and I and that started in 1996 right yeah so to, to com- complete the story this is where it gets a little crazy um, and really providential uh, so I moved to South Florida and I was as I mentioned I was product manager um, at Sensormatic and uh, to be truthful I was not a very good product manager but to to, to let you know the story uh, my job I had responsibility but no authority uh, over the marketing and the engineering components uh, I was the kind of liaison in between I had the responsibility and and we had a big problem with this particular product um, uh, the problem was is that marketing and sales already sold ten thousand to Home Depot in the first month. Well, that's was supposed good. To be released, except that's for a good problem. The problem with engineering is they hadn't developed it yet, <laughs> and it was going to be an entirely <laughs> new development process, a surface oh, no. mount technology wow. process. And as they were building these things, they were blowing up in the factory. Um, oh my gosh. So they, but they're sold to Home was, Depot. There was all these problems where <laughs> marketing and sales kept selling them. And engineering saying, we cannot deliver. We cannot possibly do this and deliver. And I was getting involved in my church, um, much more involved in my church down there at that time. And I remember going home on a Friday going, you know, Lord, if you want to make this happen, I, I, I need a miracle. I need 
you to come in and do something here because these people hate each other. They are not getting along. And when I walked back in on Monday morning, it was like the lions laid down with the lambs. And oh. I realized immediately, oh, this is going to work and you're in it. Wow. And so that confidence gave me the confidence to go through and we ended up making a hundred million dollars on that product. Wow. Um, wow. And the end result was for lack of a better word, if you know, you know, the Bible story about when Jesus tells Peter, Hey, go out there and put your nets on the other side of the boat. Right. And he's like, yeah, right. I'm fish. a fisherman. You're the preacher. Fish. Why That's would right. I do this? And right. he goes out and he does it. And he gets this incredible catch. That was kind of like, for me was like, well, whoa, you know, hundred million dollar product. That was, as a product manager, that's pretty good. But what do you do after that? A $200 million right. product. <laughs> right. So I was, I was really wanting to get more involved in my church at that time. And as I told you, I wasn't really a good product manager. Um, because it, it, it took, it t- takes a long time to be a good manager there and to manage a lot of different things. And, um, I literally about a year later was, went to lunch with, uh, the pastor who was the head of small groups as well as missions within our, uh, within our church. And I said, you know what, I'd, I'd love to be more involved. And, and, you know, I was prideful at the time and I thought he was going to ask me to be a small group leader and have my own little Bible study and, and everything. <laughs> and he goes, well, no, we really need help in missions. And I'm Interesting. Like, I'm like, had you ever done it. a mission trip I, before? No, never, never even considered it. I, I had missionaries up on a pedestal and and all that, and I said, you know what? I'm a business guy. What does that have to do with anything that's related to missions or travel or international travel or anything? And uh, I told him that at lunch, and within 15 minutes, I walked back to my into my business there to my office, and my boss walked me out the door and fired me, and. Well, that got my attention. So I started the process of, okay, I can do a mission trip, you know? So I started the process of, of, of really investigating things. And um, no matter where I turned, it, it all came down back to Africa. And uh, there, were, there were friends of mine who had done mission trips to Mexico and the Caribbean and all different places on the side, but it just kept coming back to Africa. And I was taking a class called the Obedient Life class, um, and during the same time, and I knew two places in Africa that that our church was involved with. One was the country of Liberia, and the other one was in Kenya. And it just so happened the the lady from Kenya was there that night. And I went and I explained to her, "Hey, um, you know, I'm thinking about going to Africa for a year as a missionary." And she told me about her experience in Kenya, and I knew in my heart it's it's not Kenya. And I'm thinking, Ooh, Liberia, man, that's a tough one. Um, from what I was learning about Liberia and civil war and some things that were going on at the time. And, and I'm literally on I-95 in South Florida in Boca Raton, um, you know, praying about, you know, Lord, I, you know, I, I, if you want me to do Liberia, I need a burning bush because <laughs> the only guy I know there is Chet Lowe and Chet's been shot at. He said an eight-year-old hold an AK-47 pointed at him, and he's had malaria three times. Um, I need a I need a burning bush type thing. And as I'm driving up I-95 um, in Deerfield Beach, for anybody that knows that area, I pass Deerfield Beach, I pass Palmetto Park Boulevard, and there was a guy pushing his car up the side of the road before Glades Road, and I blow on by him. 
I blow on by him. It's 1030 at night. And I feel this tug, go back and help this dude. So I turned around, I come back and I pull up behind him and I get out and the guy's got a bumper sticker that says, I support Liberia. Ah, you're kidding. Nope. (laughs) Wow. I end up driving this guy home. I never see him again. Of course, he thinks I'm crazy um, because Liberia is going to go into civil war. And so I go home and of course the class isn't for another week. And I remember our pastor saying, beware of signs and wonders. Um, You can be deceived by signs and wonders. Make sure you have Bible references uh, to anything. And it's an experience. I said, okay, great. That's my get out of Liberia free card. I don't have to go. I don't want to go. And I went back to this class the next week and I got hit with six in a row. Um, first, first scripture, leave your country, your father's house will go to the land. I'll show you. And then I said, but who am I? I'm a business guy. I don't understand anything about missions or anything. And the next verse was Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And I, and it just went boom, 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 boom. And finally I got to the point where I just said, I don't want to go. I, I really don't want to go to Liberia you know, send somebody else. And, and it was this verse where Moses says, send somebody else. You know, I'm, I forget what the actual words were, but it's something like, uh, you know, I'm not a good speaker and, and I need you to send somebody else. And then I read the next line and said, and then the, the Lord's anger burned at Moses. And I remember this heaviness of going, holy cow, I'm going to Liberia. And I, clear as day, the Steelers were playing the, the Browns. Uh, I was at a friend's house watching the game, and my heart is like beating out of my chest as I'm coming to the realization that at that point in time, I believed I was going to be going to Liberia as a missionary. And uh, so I start the process. I start getting all the shots, and it's about a 16 to 18-week period of time and preparation and everything that they had in, in mind for us. And the only thing that was left is my house had to sell. And that house, uh, I get an offer on Friday of the house and this is come April timeframe. Um, and I get an offer on the house on Friday on Saturday, the offer falls through. And on Sunday, Liberia goes into civil war, nobody in or out. So I'm like, not going to Liberia oh, house did not, I'm sell. not going to Liberia. <laughs> I don't have a job. I don't have, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have a job. I don't have anything. And um, it was at that point in time, I got a call uh, from a friend that was back at NCR and asked me to do some work for their product release process. And I started doing that work and uh, ended up creating a company called IHL as a result. And here we are 22 years later. Um, we, you know, we, there was my single customer for two years, and then we started getting into syndicated research and counting point-of-sale terminals and things like that. And we're in our 23rd year. Uh, now to this day. Yeah. And share for our listeners, what kinds of services you guys provide for those that aren't sure. retail? Yeah. I think you did a great job on the introduction, but we, we track, uh, we track the technologies, about 300 different technologies that retailers and restaurants and manufacturers, everything from auto to pharmaceuticals, we track the technologies that they use when they were installed and when they're due to be replaced and who the key decision makers are. So on the one hand, we've got this intelligent lead generation thing, but on the other hand, we work with who has what market share, um, who has who are best acquisition candidates. We do a lot of due diligence work for mergers and acquisitions uh, for folks there, but it allows the uh, folks to really understand what the marketplace looks like, what the trends are, the direction things are going in the forecast. Wow. That's pretty awesome. 
So you launched this in 1996, your first customer NCR, what for you said for the first year or two, right? And then how did you grow the business from there? I mean, was what was the method for adding new customers and kind of growing? We, we had a partnership. We had a partnership with a group called Martech, um, and they brought up project to us uh, for counting point of sale terminals. And it was, uh, I'll throw a name out there from the past, uh, 3Com was one of the sponsors of the project and Intel was a sponsor of the project in Microsoft. And really what happened is friends of mine who I worked with at NCR and Sensormatic went to other companies and they knew the work that I did and knew what my expertise was. And that started to build uh, things. And, uh, you know, I, we wouldn't have IHL if it wasn't for Tom Litchford, who's now at Amazon. Um, but Tom, two of our biggest products ever were Tom's ideas uh, of things that uh, he asked us to build, and he agreed to let us build it at cost and resell it. And that's our forecasting model and our Sophia system, the lead gen system there. So those friendships over the year, ironically, became not only the backbone of IHL, but became uh, you know very much the backbone of retail ROI later as we got that started. So you're growing the business and adding new customers. Um, and as you think back on that, let's just c- talk to that for just a moment. So what were some of the biggest challenges in scaling that and kind of growing over time? Well, I think, you know, first three years of any business is really just tremendous number of mistakes. Um, <laughs> right. I can remember, I can remember a, a time where we got a big advance from a client that wanted to get that money in one year and use it for future uh, services, like a contract services going forward. And um, and in my brilliance, we decided we were going to build out a whole other division of our business. Uh, and so we spent that money instead of saving that money. Um, and as such, we literally um, blew all that money and had a year's contract that we had to uh, still serve uh, for that particular thing. So um, at that point in time, a, uh, a $5,000 contract would have bankrupted us. In fact, almost did in those first three years because of my own mistakes and stupidity. So that would be my recommendation to anybody that's starting a business is it's going to take at least three years before you're going to make the money that you made before you started or where you used to be <laughs> right. um, just to get back to even. And then the opportunity is there to build it and, and grow it. And if you can get into anything that's a, a build once, sell multiple times, and it's not based on just your uh, own efforts um, and your own time each time, uh, that helps quite a bit. So what, what helped us grow is moving from the, the project-based to the syndicated model. Um, and so instead of being, you know, 95% of our business being, you know, just billable hours, what happened is our business went to about a 50, 50, and then went to about a 75, 25, um, product to, uh, to, uh, customized, uh, services there. And you see so many people that, you know, start something and they get impatient and, you know, the second year and third year, they're, you know, drop, either drop it. Lack the focus to stay with it, um, you know. Expect quick results, etc. And it, it's interesting that you, you think it's around the three year mark. Yeah, that was that's what it was for for us. And and to go in with zero debt and do it and build it on zero debt, so you didn't get into those financial um, hiccups. If I would have had debt at that time where I had the five thousand dollar problem, um, there would have been no recovery from that. And uh, so that 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 was really really helpful. 
Um, no question. Well, and then you mentioned uh, reach ROI. So talk about how that got started and how what, how that links to your group. Sure. So to, to fill in the story, uh, I ended up uh, in that period where I made the least amount of money because I made that big mistake. I actually met my wife. Uh, <laughs> I made $2,600 in the quarter. Um, the, the, the quarter that I met my wife. So that was a very uh, good thing. So I knew she wasn't after my money um, sure. type of thing, uh, which she's never been materialistic. I got a wonderful blessed wife um, <laughs> there. We've all, we've all, uh, you know, out kicked our coverage there. And, yep. uh, and so we, we met and got married and, uh, but we knew to, to raise kids, we didn't want to live in South Florida. Um, our local, sure. where we lived in South Florida was, uh, if you remember the Seinfeld episode, it's the one where uh, Kramer runs for Homeowners Association, Del Boca Vista. That's sure. essentially where we lived. And it was not a place that we felt we wanted to raise children. So we looked to move and, uh, we ended up in Franklin, Tennessee, um, up here. I wanted to move to Boise. She didn't want to move that far away from, uh, <laughs> Cause I love the arid climate and, and stuff. And she didn't want to move, uh, that far away from her parents or close that close to my family. Um, so we were kind of in between and, uh, we settled on Franklin, Tennessee. And, uh, so we moved here really, uh, right after nine 11. Uh, we had a contract on our house with nine 11 and, uh, we moved here in 2001. And retail ROI, for those that aren't familiar, is a charitable foundation, and you're, you seek to help the 400 million, it's an unbelievable number, 400 million orphaned and vulnerable children around the world. And in the 10 years that you had retail ROI rolling, uh, I've done more than 100 projects, 24 countries, helped more than 200,000 kids you know, with clean water, education, computers, language training, care, raised millions of dollars. I mean, so... You know, what was the idea? How did you decide I'm going to start this and get it <laughs> and it's where it is today? It's another story. Um, and the bumper sticker comes back into play as part of this. But uh, so, as you can imagine, being a little disillusioned in my faith when I couldn't go to Liberia and didn't know what that was all about and started IHL. And then we moved up here and uh, always kind of put into play like a financial plan that basically said once we hit certain financial metrics within the business, um, we wanted to do something around widows and orphans because James one twenty seven said pure religion is to visit widows and orphans in their distress. And so we put together a business plan that, that we wanted to do something financially to assist and help. Um, we hit one of those uh, metrics in 2007, um, in November of 2007. And no later than January 4th of 2008, um, all of a sudden I go to church and our pastor starts teaching out of the same scripture, leave your country, your father's household and go to the land. I will show you. And I go, wow, that got my attention. Um, and there's other parts to that verse, um, promises there. And I will make your name great. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And, and I just blew those off. But as I sat there nearly 10 years, um, or 12 years later at that point in time, I had watched God's faithfulness in doing that in my own little world. Um, and I was blown away by that. But what happened was the next verse that he shared, I had one of these experiences where a word kind of jumps off the page and like it's in capital letters and it's, you know, double, you know, double bold and, and everything. It says, um, there's a messianic promise 
there that points to Jesus that says, and all the peoples of the earth will be, um, will be blessed in the NIV, and which is the verse, version that originally I read. But he was reading out of the New King James, and the word that jumped off the page was families. And I didn't know what that meant, but I started investigating um, that at that point in time and met a guy who quit uh, doing the local Y for the teams who I was coaching for. He quit because he was going to do something with families. So that led to a discussion with him um, about what he was doing. And he was doing no interest loans um, for families that wanted to adopt because uh, the U.S. government would give a, a tax credit to those people that adopted uh, to help with the cost. However, it was always afterwards, um, after you finished the adoption. So this group that he was working with was providing no interest loans so people could get the adoptions done in first place. At the same time, I get a call from a lady that uh, I had worked with, basically in a small group Bible study, our singles group, 10 years earlier in Fort Lauderdale. And she had come to me and asked, uh, hey, I've got this uh, passion for, I'm a guardian ad litem in the system, and do you think our church could do something for when these kids get removed from their home? Uh, because they have to, they basically have to stay the night on the uh, the administration's floor. There's no place to put these kids, usually the first night. They get removed with a garbage bag. Uh, set of their belongings, and there's no place for them to stay. Do you think our pastor would you know, agree to do a house or something where we could have a safe place for that. And, and my involvement at that time was, sure. <laughs> that's literally what I said. That's all I, that's all I told her. So this, that's 1997. So um, in around March of 2008, I get a call out of the blue from, from this lady who says, you're not going to believe this. It's been 10 years, and we, we've had more adoptions through this program um, that started as a foster care safe place. We've had more adoptions through this than any program in the entire country. Um, and they're, they're doing a, a celebration for me at this conference back in Fort Lauderdale at our old church. Would you come down and be a part of that? And I'm like, sure. And I hadn't spoken to her for probably five years. So I'm, I'm trying to understand what's going on. What, what's the deal with families? What am I supposed to be involved with? I go down to this conference and uh, the first speaker was Kay Warren and uh, Kate Rick Warren's wife, and uh, and she shared a bunch of stories about Rwanda, and my heart just broke. Um, and then uh, Dennis Rainey got up there, and he shared that a child dies every 5.2 seconds around the world from different reasons. And being the analyst, I started running the numbers and, you know, start going, okay, that's, that's 11 every minute, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to how many kids. And it was, you know, multiples of 9-11 every month um, and the number of kids that, that were dying. And I didn't sleep for four months after that. But he shared a quote, a Winston Churchill quote, that is really what gave me the calling for my life. Um, and uh, that quote was, there comes into the life of every man a cause for which he is uniquely suited. Woe to that man if he's, he's either unwilling or unprepared for that which may become its finest hour. And at that point in time, I knew I was supposed to do something with orphans and vulnerable kids. Um, and that's what I was supposed to do. And then I realized I, I didn't necessarily need to go to Liberia. I was supposed to support Liberia. That's what the bumper sticker said. 
um, which which I, I thought that would have been nice to know back 12 years ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> here it's here I was. Uh, yeah, here I was. But that comes back around, and it's it's really special how it comes back around. Sure. So um, I go back. I go back to to my church, and I was in a small group of uh, leadership there. And one of the guys had just come back from a trip to Ukraine and talked about his his work with orphans and and stuff. Um, on that trip, and and I just blurted out saying, "Hey, I we need to do something about this." And I started rattling off those statistics: that child dies every five, you know, five seconds. Bloom, bloom, bloom. And my pastor looked at me and he says, "You really need to start something here at the church." So I started a, an orphan care and adoption ministry at the church, and uh, of course, I'm still doing IHL and doing the business, and go to Oracle Open World, and it's the day that Lehman Brothers went under. September 15th in uh, 2008, and uh, I met a guy by the name of Paul Singer, and Paul was the uh, CIO of SuperValue, but previously to that, he was the the, uh, CIO of Target Stores, and and Paul was a giant in the industry, but he was also a giant in the adoption world. When Dave Thomas of Wendy's um, passed away, Paul took over the role of lobbying Congress uh, for funds for foster kids and adoption. He was the guy that was pushing for all that. And and so we had a meeting there and saying, hey, you're doing something. We're doing something. Wouldn't it be great if we did something as an industry? Uh, so we could call it, you know, retail ROI. We could call it ROI as a is an acronym because that's what everybody's worried about is return on investment. Let's just call it ROI, Retail Orphan Initiative. And uh, we walked out of that meeting. Rose Spicer from Oracle was there. Jeff Roster was there uh, from Gartner. Mark Milstein, uh, Kathy uh, Martyr, uh, now Kathy Putnam was there. And we all agreed, yeah, this would be fun to do together. Instead of just competing against each other, why don't we do something as a charity and, and do that together? And so we literally just assumed that Paul was going to lead it and run it. and. Um, we uh, signed the paperwork um, about five weeks later. We signed the paperwork to start the charity. We wrote uh, the checks to start the charity so we'd have some administrative funds to get started. And that was on a Friday. And on Monday, I get a phone call from Paul Singer. Um, and Paul goes, Greg, he says, I don't know how to tell you this. I just got a call from the doctor. Um, I have a brain tumor and I'm having surgery on Monday. And uh, he never... Paul never regained the ability to speak or to read or think after that surgery. And so it fell to me to, uh, to lead this ragtag thing. Uh, group. <laughs> well, it's obviously, I mean, it's evolved into just an incredible organization and you've gotten so many amazing people involved and, and now every day, every year, sorry, at NRF with your super Saturday, I mean, you guys raised what you raised nearly $400,000 just in one day this year. It's amazing. And, and more than that, I mean, it's, it's the, the giving back and, and service throughout the year. It's an amazing organization. Yeah, and the genesis of that is we went into um, NRF the next, uh, after Paul passed, or after Paul had the surgery, and said, okay, guys, we got a, we got a charity, and the money's, you know, is bleeding. We need to figure out how to raise money. So we said, what do we know? We know events. We know who the best speakers are in our industry. Let's ask them if they believe in free speech. Um, and if they do, we ask them to come and give one for free at the event. 
And we'll invite the retailers for free. We'll charge sponsors and then we'll build computer labs and clean water projects, et cetera. So that event, we've been able to build 19 schools, 21 computer labs, um, help uh, uh, basically 226,000 kids in 24 countries around the world from the funds from that event. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Just incredible organization. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I love your story. Greg and I, you know, I love that there's kind of this parallel path of your your day job slash you know corporate job with this foundation uh, that really makes a giant impact. Share with our audience so how they can engage with you, where they can find you, how they can learn more, how they can get involved. Sure. Um, well, there's so- several ways. Uh, we we do have a newsletter uh, and such there. Our website's uh, www.retailroi.org. Um, there's only one time a year where we actually ask for funds from people to be involved, and it's coming up here soon, what we call March Gladness, um, which we actually play brackets for the March Madness uh, event as a fundraiser to raise funds for uh, orphans and vulnerable kids. And uh, that's coming up uh, this this, uh, next month. And uh, it's a lot of fun because we, we trash talk each other. We have a lot of fun. We've got thousands <laughs> of dollars worth of prizes that are donated from retailers, gift cards um, to, uh, to many, many stores and devices and things like that. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, but we actually do good, good use for that. In years past, we've built a school by playing brackets uh, for March Madness. So the goal really is with Retail ROI is to uh, three three primary goals. One's to raise awareness to the needs and that there are that many orphans and vulnerable children, 400 million orphans and vulnerable children around the world. But number two, that everybody plays a role. I mentioned how I had no clue how my business skills would make a difference in, uh, in something. And perhaps the best way to explain it is to explain a project. So... We had a need in Honduras where we had 600 children um, who were in a school, and uh, the school could afford to pay for the corn for the 4,300 tortillas they made, or they could pay the teachers um, there. So they reached out to us to see if we might be able to help, and uh, I had a connection. My brother works for Cargill, and and they're the number one provider or buyer of corn. And I asked, uh, hey, would you guys be willing to uh, donate two, uh, two truck carloads or truck train carloads worth of corn? And they agreed to do that. And the only problem was is it came in individual pieces. And we needed to have it bagged, et cetera. So somebody else that was involved made a call to a seed packing plant called Fisher Seeds. And they agreed to bag it up for us in 50-pound bags and store it. And then another lady who does shipping containers and logistics for a living, she got involved, organized the shipping container, um, organized the FDA inspection and the transportation. And thus, we were able to get a year's supply of food for 650 people total um, for $7,500 delivered uh, there. And it's because we used our skill sets uh, to make a difference. And that's where the biggest impact is, really, our networks and our skill sets. And then finally, we, we... uh, come alongside great charities, really efficient charities, where we can double or triple the work in the area of adoption, foster care, um, or orphan care. So we will start with clean water project. If there's no clean water, um, we will then build a school if there's no school or education, and then we start providing computer labs and bring first world education um, to those communities. But we also do uh, 
things where we bring our professional experience and we teach. So we do video calls and training calls uh, with schools all over the world uh, to bring the training and experience of leading executives to these kids to provide a hope and a vision uh, for them to look beyond. Yeah, I've really enjoyed being involved with at least your programs around your Super Saturday event. And um, and, and it's, it's so much fun to see also just throughout the year how you know, business and community leaders really engage and jump in with you. I think it's just really, really amazing. Yeah, it's been a real blessing to work with friends and to watch them blossom. Um, you know, people ask me sometimes, do I get more joy out of the time we spend with the kids <laughs> when we go on the trips? Um, or is it another aspect of what we do? And for me, it's actually watching my friends like you and others in the industry <laughs> on these trips get engaged. I, sure. I think the most powerful one was uh, watching the joy on my friends' faces as they watched their children pass out the Tom shoes to the kids that had no shoes. And it wasn't about buying the extra pair of Tom shoes or giving that, donating that here in the United States but passing it out and watching the joy on my friends' faces and, the, and how proud they were of their own kids making a difference there. Um, and that, that is the part that is, is so fulfilling for me. Well, that's awesome. Well, Greg, it's been great having you on the podcast. Um, I know that uh, for those listening that are interested in Retail ROI, I can share with you the website's www.retailroi.org. And Greg, do you want to share also your IHL information? Yeah, I mean, if you need to reach us for for you know consulting or anything related to uh, retail technology, um, our website is ihlservices.com, ihlservices.com. Awesome, Greg. It's awesome having you on the podcast. I can't wait to have you back on. We need to do like a regular check in on on you know, <laughs> progress and and uh, things that you're working on. And so this will have to be one of our regular things that we do together. Yeah, thanks. I think if, if anything, the success has been just because God asked me to do something and I said, okay. Um, so that's where it all it. goes, the glory. So Awesome. Well, Greg, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks so much. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.